the reality is, is the data is out there and being used. And I think that it's up to us as technologists to be transparent about the way that we're doing it. Cause I think it is almost a negotiation with society, right? What is, what is fair, what is just, and what's reasonable is, is uh, a social contract that, that we're all held to. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. Thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you enjoy what we do, please like, comment, and share in your favorite podcast app. And we'll keep sharing great conversations like the one we have for today. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. I'm also an investor and an advisor to more than 30 AI-first companies, and as you know, a firm believer in the power of technology to make humans better. If you're passionate about changing the world with AI or just looking for your next adventure, let's talk. We learn from AI thought leaders weekly on this show, and of course, the added bonus is you get one AI fun fact each week. Here it is for today. Esim Erdem and Vera Sidlova from Kantar a digital consulting company, this week analyzed the effectiveness of AI-generated ads. They evaluated whether AI-generated ads are just easier to create, or they're also better. Their conclusion is that AI-generated ads perform well when evaluated based on long-term brand value versus human-generated ones. They also found that the best-performing ads involve the fusion of human-written scripts with machine-generated images. It's a well-written, data-driven article that goes beyond kind of the, the typical fear-mongering we hear related to AI eliminating creative jobs. And it's certainly one that's relevant to today's conversation, which we will shift to now. AI is here to accelerate the world's creativity. In fact, it's one of the things generative AI does best. Imagine a world where personalized campaigns help products we love find you. Today's guest did just that, and he created Evolve AI to help brands connect with customers across all digital channels. Tyler Foster is the CTO of Evolve AI, a platform that helps brands improve conversion and experiment faster. He started the company with CEO Michael Scharf in 2019, and together they've grown it into an early leader in AI-first digital experimentation, having helped brands like SafeLight, DirecTV, and Verizon. Prior to Evolve AI, Tyler was the founding CEO and chief architect of Sentient Systems and an early software engineer at Cloudera. And without further ado, Tyler, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by having you share a bit more about your background and how you got into this space. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, quick correction. I was the founding CEO of Sentient, but I didn't found Sentient. So... I mean, my background is pretty diverse, I would say. Interesting early start growing up in a small town in southern Utah that was very rural and agricultural. But uh, my father was a, a software engineer in the early days uh, at Motorola building uh, operating systems and assemblers primarily. And uh, he ended up homeschooling me through a lot of my education. And so that was really my my first start with technology was going home and working in technology and then going out and playing in the dirt. So uh, it was an it was an interesting start. But from there, I really moved 
towards like more towards kind of uh uh ai and 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 you know an early anime geek and just loved the idea of the ways that computers could uh could potentially think and so it was a really early passion for me from there i moved to seattle to uh, actually go to school to become a professional scuba diver but the water was cold and dark, and I was coding on the side for uh, one of the early electronic medical record companies, and just really enjoyed the 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 problem that that presented. And I've always been really into to solving real problems, so um, shifted more towards uh, towards technology, and and gave up my 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 dreams of being a professional scuba diver. So, uh, you know, I over the last you know, 23 years. I've worked in a lot of different areas of technology, early CAD systems um, with dynamic thresholding, image cleanup, segmentation, uh, did some time at Intel, uh, built front-end platforms and um, and, and e-learning uh, technology. And then I ended up at Cloudera, which was really, I think, a pretty formative uh, place for me. So uh, working alongside some really brilliant people on in the Hadoop ecosystem, um, working on heterogeneous data management at scale, building really interesting systems that people were using to solve some pretty compelling problems. But you know, one thing that we just kept on seeing uh, there was the challenges that people faced with uh, with getting value out of huge amounts of data, um, and so. At, at that point, there was starting to become this, this real shift towards data science and, and the compute power really reached a point where we could do um, you know, real AI at scale. So we had, had done some interesting stuff with, in data science and, and um, in kind of niche use cases, but that was the point where we had both the, you know, the, the data sufficient and compute sufficient to get to get real value out of out of, of of AI and machine learning, and that watching that sort of start to develop there was was an exciting time. From there, we moved towards uh, towards you know giving people real genuine access to that uh, to that information. But it was still very early days. You know, it was it was a pretty specialist role with a lot of 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 heavy work to get to get real value. Since then, we've seen uh, a real explosion as, you know, in the way that humans do, we've abstracted away these problems, we've uh, tuned implementations, we've developed some amazing uh, libraries and, and, and algorithms that, that can be used, you know, to some extent off the shelf to, to solve really compelling problems. Um, from there, uh, I went towards, um, you know, kind of deeper into the distributed computing space uh, with a company called Senient. And then uh, I joined uh, an AI research firm called Sentient Technologies, where uh, we were working on uh, the application of, of AI to the, the problem of, of user experience. So we had an early research project there uh, in POC that uh, was kind of the previous form of Evolve AI it was really compelling, interesting results, but really early stage. And, and the board uh, there 
uh, asked us to to spin it out and and create you know a, a company out of it because they felt that it, it had real legs so exciting you know exciting opportunity for for michael and myself to make this you know into something that that could really have impact at scale so that's really what brought me to evolve and so for the last you know four years we've been five years we've been working on getting that the the, the real scalable solution in place getting some pretty exciting customers in place to to take advantage of it and really excited about what comes next we've learned a lot over the years on this show about how ai is being used in uh, retail contexts conversation I remember that I really enjoyed was with Diane Kang, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Brainify. Um, I knew you and Evolve AI have kind of grown up around this space of applying AI to retail. I'd love to get your perspective as a technologist on some use cases, how it's being used to improve the consumer experience, and kind of where a typical engagement starts for Evolve AI. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so looking at AI broadly, um, as it applies to to retail, it really started in areas like forecasting and inventory management, um, recommendation systems, uh, sentiment analysis, that sort of stuff, and and really kind of focused towards the digital world. Over time, we've seen that get better and better, um, and now you're starting to see it being used for more like adaptive experiences and stuff like like we're doing intelligence uh digital experiences that adapt and respond to to real user behavior some of the interesting spaces that i'm watching that i think are, are pretty exciting is around previously it was primarily applied to the digital side of retail but now it's it's starting to 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 work in the interface between digital and and, and physical or, or, or brick and mortar so you know some of the interesting stuff going on um, with Sephora, Sephora has some 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 cool AI tools uh, for helping you figure out what you know what what what's the right color for you, what's the right um, makeup or skincare products. Uh, getting the like shopping assistance in store, Macy's is a good example of that, where you can you know pull up the Macy's app and and they'll help you find what you need. Um, uh, tools like you know, the, the car trackers or, uh, or self-checkout capabilities. Amazon Go was, a, was an early prototype of that, but you're starting to see those sorts of technologies more. Um, and then getting into like kind of sentiment analysis and, and, and taste analysis for the individuals where um, you can see, you know, companies starting to uh, offer to scan your Pinterest board and help you connect that with furniture or helping to kind of scan your facial responses to clothes as you're as you're looking at, at at images and styles to understand you know what you have affinity towards or you know the the your skin texture and color to help you understand what the best skincare routine is. So you know it it started out kind of simple and broad, but it's gotten to very kind of specific use cases that I think are adding, uh, you know, a ton of value in people's lives and helping them connect with the products that they'll love uh, and cut through the noise of, of the modern kind of retail experience where there's, there's sort of, you know, product or offering overload. Those are amazing use cases. And I believe that the way we interact with brands as consumers is going to change 
dramatically over the next couple of years. But the, the flip side of that is in order to make these hyper-personalized automated decisions, these brands need to be collecting massive amounts of data about us as consumers. Um, as a technologist, what do you think is our responsibility as vendors using this consumer data to make decisions to be transparent and uh, responsible with our use of the data we collect? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the realities of the modern world is that it's pretty quantified. There's there's tons of data being collected all the time, so much so that it's not, a lot of it isn't even particularly useful. And so I think that that when we're thinking about, you know, privacy in the modern world, it's it's an interesting kind of dichotomy, right? We want the benefits of, uh, of, of, you know, the being connected with the information that we want, being being able to find the products that we need, but at the same time, we don't want it to be used to exploit us or manipulate us into doing something that we wouldn't wouldn't choose to otherwise. So, I think that that society is pretty good about holding companies responsible for uh, for misuse of the you know the powerful tool that is data. But at the end of the day, there's data that's that exists whether it's you know the the cctv cameras that you uh that you walk by or the the processing of your your social network and all of that stuff so i think the reality is is the data is out there and being used and i think that it's up to us as technologists to be transparent about the way that we're doing it because i think it is almost a negotiation with society right what is what is fair what is just and what's reasonable is is uh, a social contract that that we're all held to. We had a great guest on recently named Meredith Broussard, who's a professor. She wrote a book called More Than a Glitch about kind of algorithmic accountability. And one of the stories she tells is about the racist soap dispenser. And it turns out, you know, a certain vendor of soap dispenser trained its sensor models on data that was mostly you know, non-dark skin from non-dark skin people. And so when a dark skin person put their hands under it, it wouldn't dispense soap. I'm curious to know, uh, you know, as the CTO of, of the company and kind of, you know, you drive the vision for the technology. Are there any specific examples of where you've come across a situation where you feel like there may be some ethical principles at risk, or you've had to kind of coach the team about, you know, what could go wrong, you know, if, if, the, if the data is misused? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that there's always that that fine line between being helpful um, and being, you know, being disruptive to somebody's somebody's workflow. And I think that that when it comes to training data, it's important to think about, especially when when thinking about adaptive experiences. One of the things that I think is most powerful about it is accessibility. Right? How do we achieve you know, really truly accessible experiences that as, you know, as, as they're adopted more broadly a, a, across society are able to solve for, you know, the, the, the differences between the ways that we think and learn and interact. Um, and so making sure that, that your training data is always representative of um, society as a whole. I think oftentimes when you look at, at you know, quantitative analysis, you end up um, really, really processing for the average 
And so staying aware of that, 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 that diversity aspect, that, uh, that accessibility aspect is something that's super important to us as, as an organization. Um, and, uh, to me personally in my life. So now think about yourself as a consumer, like in a mall or, you know, wherever ads are being targeted at you, what do you think, um, your rights should be in terms of, uh, when a recommendation is made for you that's inappropriate or when you feel like, you know, you don't want to be targeted, what are your rights as a consumer? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's a couple of aspects to that. So one is, um, you know, what are the what are the data sources or or how are they pulling data about me specifically? Right. I think oftentimes if you look at at sort of the traditional data sets, you end up with with really, you know, demographic, psychographic, where you're trying to, to segment and categorize people into, in, into to pretty broad groups. And I think that that, that that process tends to ignore the, the detail of, uh, of a person and, and their current situation. And, and usually the, the more important information for connecting a user with the right product is their their current need their current behavior so like if you are you know you walk into a a retail store and you're looking around and kind of wandering around there's probably a retail worker there that can connect with you and help you find the the product that you're looking for um or the answer that you're looking for right and it's based not on your demographic profile not on you know the fact that you we're just on Facebook, right? It's it's about your behavior and and kind of like your your demonstration of a need. And so I think that 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 companies need to really focus more on connecting with you in the moment as opposed to to overclassifying you and then um, trying to to you know treat you a certain way over time based on that. So, you know, there's, there's the responsibility of the, of the organizations. And then, you know, from a, uh, fr from a, a consumer perspective, I think the, the best thing, you know, the best option you have is to, to, to vote with your wallet, right? So, you know, as, as companies roll out these things, they're testing to see, you know, does this improve customer experience? Does this improve outcomes? And if you let them know that, that it's making you uncomfortable or, you choose not to, to to shop at that location anymore. You'll see that that companies will again kind of respond to that social contract pretty fast if if they see um, that it's having a negative impact. Now, as we're recording this, there are a lot of strikes going on in Hollywood, and where a lot of the creative community is concerned about AI taking jobs, royalty payments, various things where. They feel like they're getting boxed out by AI and automation. Um, what's your pitch to the creative community that is concerned that companies like Evolve AI may ultimately replace the creative pursuit? Yeah, I mean, I, so I think that that's both a reasonable question and pretty far from where where we are, right? So I think in the grand scheme of things, humanity will create better and better tools to 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 achieve their goals right and and ai is just another tool another technology to improve lives 
the here at Evolve, we're really focused on not taking humans out of the loop, right? Uh, humans play a key role in creativity and the 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 motivation that drives the machine, and then also on the curation, right? So uh, a lot of a lot of art is is in the edit, and so for us, we're looking at building tools that amplify human creativity, that help people with big ideas get get achieve the goals that they set out to achieve that they couldn't otherwise right that that they don't have access to the knowledge or the the technical capability to be able to um operate all of the different kind of tools that are available in the market today to solve the specific kind of small problems that build to the big outcome and so i think that the closer we can connect humanity humanity's ideas to the outcome that they're seeking um, and reduce as much friction as that is possible, um, the more value that can be created in the world by the creatives and by by humanity. And so, um, you know, the I don't want to get too kind of political here, but I think there there does need to be a shift in the way that we think about um, about our economy and participation in our economy and making sure that, you know, not just AI, right, but automation as a whole is having, is, is having an impact on, you know, maybe not the average person in our society, but individuals in our society and will continue to. And as we get better and better at automation, it's going to have more and more effect. And so I think, you know, this is a lot of people talk about regulating AI and and kind of its uh its impact on the world but i think you know the other side of it is that we're going to need now that we're reaching this this point of of automation and efficiency we're going to need to update our, our economic system and 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 kind of how we view you know how we view work and and do we live to work or work to live where i think traditionally there's been this 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 idea that that work is life and i think that as we get more and more of this automation in place as we get the a tighter feedback loop between the an idea and the result that it will it, it will create efficiencies that will improve outcomes for humanity as long as we don't let that all get vacuumed up by all that value vacuumed up by a few i talk a lot about what it means when AI gives you back a half a day to a day per week. And to your point, your identity is no longer solely based on uh, your nine to five, right? It's based right. on potentially a bunch of other things that make you the best version of human. Um, do you think as a society, we're prepared to have those really important conversations about what, what does replace the 20% of our time that hopefully in a positive way will be automated with AI? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the reality is, is that the strikes are us talking about it, right? Like the, the worst thing that can happen is that this, this disruption takes place slowly to a few, right? Because then they don't have a sufficient voice to really communicate about it. But I think that, that getting into a position where, you know, where the writers are, working together to find, you know, what, what is this next phase of, 
of the job, you know, is it about the idea or is it about the labor? And I think that the the opportunity there is to 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 value the idea and the outcome um, independently of you know how, how many hours butts were in seeds. As a technologist with uh, you know an early front row seat at you know the LLM table and you know doing all the things that you've been doing for a while in around AI technologies, um, what are the limitations of the current technology that you think prevent or prevent present the, the biggest impediment to broader adoption and kind of fulfilling the the uh, the promise of what the technologies will eventually do yeah i think you know th this goes back to the conversation of of kind of regulation and you know the impact of the automation uh andrew ning said that he he's not concerned about evil ai for the same reason he's not concerned about overpopulation on mars being in this every day kind of being active in the state of the art uh i think you know now is the time to think about it now is the time to to prepare for it but uh the reality is is that we're still we're still early days there's there's a lot of of limitations of it the 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 models can do interesting tricks, but in the grand scheme of things, there's still there's still a long way to go to get to reason to to get to agentive AI to you know to have it playing a more active role in our in our lives and society. Right now, they're they're you know pretty limited in their ability to um, to to connect a, a you know a problem to a solution and that i think is is going to continue to be the case for the um you know at least the next decade and so you know in the grand scheme of things i think now is definitely the time to talk about it but when people are thinking about how can i you know incorporate generative ai into my workflow whether it be you know through 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 image generation like stable diffusion or or mid journey or chat gpt or products like ours or you know copilot um if you've used these technologies and actually tried to apply them to uh to a big problem uh the human is going to be very necessary for <laughs> for quite some time um it, you know both from uh getting the right inputs to it but then also curating the output because you know, it, in in a lot of cases, these these things are are, are fire hoses that um, that somebody has to, to 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 fill a glass with, and and so you know, having really you know passionate, creative people um, wielding the most powerful paintbrush we've ever you know we've ever created um, is is going to be fantastic. But the the paintbrush doesn't operate itself. Such an important point. The closer you are to the actual technology these days, the more you realize that it is at best capable of being a co-pilot. But let's just right. be clear: who's who's driving the plane? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There should be exactly. no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now, one of the things yeah. that I I think about a lot is as a consumer, I'm becoming more and more accustomed to questioning everything that I see, whether it's a billboard or an ad or 
you know, a new product offering or a, you know, a blog post about what the origin of it was and whether or not it was human or machine generated. And it matters to me. It really matters if it was someone, you know, that I trust unique work versus, you know, a next word predictor, you know, having uh, generated something it seemed like, you know, would, would interest me. What do you think it means in an era where we may not be able to trust what we see or read, or do we become more cynical or does the content become better? Or like, what does the world look like when, you know, the whole notion of trust is really, um, you know, something that we have to question more than, more than we have in the past. It's, it's, it's interesting the way that you pose that question. So, you know, you sort of, you, you connected disinformation to whether it was created by a human or a machine. And, um, you know, the reality is is that disinformation is is the standard for um you know for for information at scale in in our culture and and politics already right like if you look at the the major the major news organizations you look at the the dishonesty and data manipulation in in scientific papers like disinformation has been present at scale um, within our world. There's the, the old saying, there's three sides to every story, story yours, mine, and the truth. Um, and that's just a, a, a reality, right? One of the, the, there's kind of two really powerful aspects of AI that I think can, can actually help us start to, to, to deal with this as a problem. So one is we've already started to use AI to be able to, um, to track and identify uh, information and where it came from, um, who's repeating it, uh, you know, the 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 facts behind it, right? And that that just simply wasn't wasn't possible ten years ago, fifteen years ago. So um, the ability to to actually identify and communicate uh, when when disinformation is occurring. Is, is solvable only with AI. The, the other side of it, which I think is interesting, is that a lot of what drives disinformation is, you know, humanity's lesser instincts, right? Our seeking of resources and, and power, et cetera. And so the, the fact that AI isn't motivated for the, with those kind of underlying intentions. So even if you say, you know, to a human, hey, can you go and, and help distribute this this you know this food or or investment in in this in this poverty stricken area, right? Humanity's kind of lesser instincts get involved there, and they start to you know try to to play the outcome in their favor. Whereas you know with AI not having that motivation intrinsically, the the ability to 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 input good intent and and output a, a more efficient kind of pure version of of the solution is 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 again something that that isn't current like isn't really possible um, when looked at purely through the the lens of you know a, 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 of of us as 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 biological machines. So um, I don't think that the I don't think that because it was created by AI, it is disinformation. There's, you know, there's the hallucination like aspect of it for sure. Um, 
but I think that uh, and and you know who 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 created the the idea or value is 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 an important aspect I think in all works right um, but at the end of the day I think AI is actually uh, the most powerful we have tool we have to to overcome disinformation even if AI is used to 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 as a tool for humanity to create more of it. Do you think that how you perceive or react to or maybe are influenced by content might be different if you know it's created by a machine versus if you know it's created by a human? Yeah, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting point and I think that that's really, you know, related to someone's background or their their experience. One thing that I that I saw with you know, with like the early days of chat GPT and things is that most people bias towards believing it in much the same way that most people bias towards believing what they read on the internet. Um, and so the fact that it was, was hallucinating and spitting out like totally fictitious, uh, uh, you know, facts was, I think eye-opening for a lot of people, but I think that that as that gets solved, the cool thing about um, AI in general is that as these models, you know, are used and improved, uh, it's centralizing the corrections, right? And so, rather than distributing a, a, a fact or piece of information across, you know you know, millions of instances of, of, uh, of books and, you know, content on the internet and stuff, being able to kind of centralize it and then correct it in place, I think will get your, your core accuracy up in some of the like larger, more meaningful, uh, models and, and knowledge bases. Um, and, you know, then you can also track, you know, the, the, a specific application of that knowledge back to its original source um, in a way that that's that's really never been possible. So the potential for it to be more accurate than could ever exist today is, I think, the upside. the 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 downside is that the bias towards trusting it is similar to our bias towards trusting when our friend says that they, you know caught a fish they didn't or something so we need to to always be skeptical um especially when uh bias or or you know the the motivations are in question whether it comes from ai or or humans hey tyler it feels like we're get just getting started but uh, i gotta get you off the hot seat uh, but not before you answer one last question for me so roll back the clock to when uh tyler was the software engineer at cloudera just an iconic mm -hmm. company had amazing success there, uh, and in fact, Almer, who is the the founder of Cloudera, will be on the podcast in a few weeks. Um, I'd love for our awesome. audience. Yeah, I'll tell him to say hi. Mm -hmm. At, I'd love for our audience to hear from you. What what did you learn from that experience as a as a leader and maybe as a technologist? Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I think Cloudera was a really formative company for me. One of the things that I've I've always found is is I'm just in awe of how amazing people are and how well-intentioned they are. And there were some really amazing kind of driven people at Cloudera that were just trying to 
to have a big impact on the world. Um, and that was, that was, ex- that was exciting for me, you know, as far as, as, as my practice, um, as both an entrepreneur and a technologist goes, you know, there are a couple of takeaways that I had from that experience that, that have continued to, to, to drive me in ways. And so, um, you know, one is, is really, there's, there's a lot of things that you can do, right. But really there's not time to do everything. So focus and like really prioritize ruthlessly the stuff that is going to have the biggest impact on somebody's life and then find the shortest path to the goal because the shorter the path to the goal, the quicker you can get to, to hitting the next big impactful thing in people's lives. And then finally, never solving problems for your future self. So when, you know, when you're building systems, oftentimes you're thinking about, uh, you know, how do I, you know, how is this going to be used in the future? And like, you implement a bunch of abstraction layers and like functionality and stuff that you're like, I think that this might be useful at some point. And, you know, that wasn't really the practice at, at Cloudera and it, it created huge efficiencies um, and, and a huge opportunity to create more good in the world. So, um, you know, the, those were really the big ones is, uh, is, is hire amazing people that, that you want to work with, focus on the, the biggest and in, in kind of best opportunity you have for impact and do it as cleanly and tightly as you can. Good advice. And don't design for your future self. I like that one. <laughs> you'll you'll either uh, be you'll either have more money or be out of a job. So don't uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> hey Tyler, this has been a uh, been a lot of fun hanging out. Where can the uh, audience learn more about you and the work of Evolve AI? Yeah, definitely um, check out check out our site evolve.ai. Uh, check us out on social media. Uh, we post pretty actively on. Um, on LinkedIn and and really just getting our, our Instagram channel up. So uh, you'll you'll be hearing a lot more from us over time, but uh, you can check us out on those channels. Great. Well, we're all rooting for uh, for you and the team to succeed. Thanks a lot. Well, that's, uh, that's all the time we have for this week on AI and the future of work. As always, I'm your host, Dan Turchin from PeopleRain. And of course, we're back next week with another fascinating guest.